The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. happening welcome to another pitcherless mock draft podcast my name is nick pollock and today joining me you might know him from the very popular on the wire podcast on the pitchless podcast network it's the 2020 tgfbi champion kevin hasting good to see you kevin great to be here nick thank you so much this was a, a lot of fun uh i i really enjoy drafting early but before the past season even ends i've already done a best ball already done in the middle of a draft champions and this mock and even did an auction already at first pitch arizona so this mock was a a lot of fun and i i know very early you were surprised about a a choice or two i made i I was (laughs) a little surprised and we're going to get to that but for those that are unaware uh, we had a 12-teamer mock draft with the Pitchless staff. Uh, it's as standard as it gets. So we're talking five by five. It's, you know, wins and average. You have 23 rounds, three outfielder, two utility spots. And it's Yahoo eligibility, which means you have a five games started at any position or 10 games played. And Otani is two separate players. So you can follow the entire draft. There's the link below in the description of this podcast. I say below, but everyone's listening. What does that mean? And uh, you can follow the full draft board there and see uh, all of the picks. And we're also going to have a bonus 13th podcast talking about the picks that the uh, staffers all said that they were considering at the end. So try and make around a 300, uh, top 300 for fantasy uh, podcast series. And Kevin, I mean, first of all, at Ke- Hasting Kevin, follow Kevin on, on Twitter. And it was really good to see in Arizona. Uh, we, you drafted fourth in this mock draft. And yes. I want you to talk a little bit about um, were you trying to get fourth uh, or did it just kind of fall in your place? And was there a certain strategy that you had once you knew you had the fourth position? I wanted to be as early as possible. Fourth was the the best, the earliest position when I got to choose. And it's not about my first round pick. It's about what I can do with the second and third round. Right. Okay. So so this is a popular uh the thing about you want to go as early as you can to get you want to make sure you have like the first seven or so is what I've understood. And then you wanted you you felt that the early of the third round 
is more important than being early in the second round. Is that right? Yes, that's okay. exactly where I'm at. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So we're going to jump into this then. Uh, so with your fourth pick, Cloud Guerrero Jr., Acuna Jr., and Tatis Jr. were taken off the board, and there were no more good juniors left. <laughs> so you took Trey Turner. How would you feel about that? I felt very, very good about that. I didn't expect him to be there. Um, my second choice would have been Dante Bichette. I am of the opinion that that first half of the first round, I want Trey Turner, Dante, not Dante, <laughs> Bo oh, Bichette. I was, was going to roll with it. Just, <laughs> the, just the other Bo Bichette, Dante. Yeah, the, that's... <laughs> the, the other junior without a junior on the end. <laughs> or Jose Ramirez. I want one of those three, if possible, ideally. Obviously, if I'm at the end of the first round, that probably won't be possible. But I, I want one of those three guys. Yeah, it's a it's a mentality of um, hey, I want to leave the first round or two with stolen bases in a decent position because it's just so hard to find effective steals later that doesn't you know pull you down in another category. I will say, I uh, fifteen teamers NFBC those styles demand this a bit more than you do in a twelve teamer head to head because well you can kind of punt and get away with it at times in twelve teamers, but I still don't like punting early you know that's not a strategy you choose to go into mostly it's it's something that becomes the state of things as the draft plays out and the more opportunities you have to uh, not put yourself into that kind of uh, forced strategy early the better so I totally get it I mean Soto Bichette Jose Ramirez I I'm sorry not Soto Turner Bichette Ramirez are certainly at the top that's why Tatis and Acuna went beforehand and Vlad Jr., we talked with Van Burnett, and you guys can certainly listen to that one. As far as Turner goes, uh, do you see this uh, you know, potential 30-30 season? I mean, it was 28-32 this past year in 148 games for Turner. Do you see that repeating uh, with the Dodgers, or are you seeing some, maybe a step back, or are you seeing anything different uh, moving forward? Well, I, I actually took a look at his time with the Dodgers, and he had 226 plate appearances beginning on august 6th he did not report to the dodgers immediately after the trade deadline uh 10 home runs 11 stolen bases so he's right there on pace for his 30 30 with the dodgers and because of the deeper better lineup his his pace for runs and especially rbi went up as well he finished with 76 rbi on the season 28 of them in that third of a season with the Dodgers. So I can see a better overall performance coming. I'm not going to expect it, but it is a possibility. You know, one thing we really have to consider here is that Trey Turner was a number one or number two guy for uh, the Nationals, and he slotted into number three for the Dodgers. And so that means that 107.77 that you see, well, that could be closer to 100.100. Exactly. Uh, considering he'll have more RBI opportunities, and it's not like the Dodgers offense are not going to be able to hit him in from their four or five, six. Sure. You might get a few fewer played appearances, not being one or two and then less opportunity. Fine. But it's not like that. One Oh seven runs are going to turn into 80 or something like that. Just because Trey Turner is now batting third instead of first or second. So yeah, Trey Turner to me is, uh, it, honestly, it could be the number one pick for me. Um, just because also the average floor is immense and it's kind of rare to, to feel that good across the board with all five. Uh, if you feel that you want to secure more power, then I can grasp going for Acuna Jr. or even Vlad. 
but the the fact that I think homers are easier to find um, than the other four. Um, I would certainly learn lean Trey Turner at one one currently. So I felt great for you uh, getting Turner this late uh, fourth overall. And you know Tatis Jr. Some could say like, oh well, that what about him? Well, no one is going to tell you that the injury risk is not a thing. And I would imagine we can all expect the plate appearances to be higher for Turner, despite only 122 in 2019. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And one of the biggest things that I learned in 2021 was in the past, I have been out on Christian Yelich as a top five pick due to my concerns about his back. Well, when he was going at the end of the first round and a couple dollars cheaper in option auctions, excuse me, in 2021, I I was more in on Christian Yelich. And it's not just that it turned out bad. Is not my only reasoning, but what I realized is that's still my first round pick, whether it's a top five pick or at the end of the first round, I'm still risking my first round pick and I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's why Acuna and uh, Tatis are are not going to be first round picks for me. Yeah, I understand. I mean, Acuna, I think, has a little bit less of the uh, the giant stigma. I mean, Tatis, we we all know this story. We've seen it. We've read it. Uh, and Cunha is like, oh, okay, that's just an injury, that freak injury, fine. You should be all right once you go through the recovery process. But Tatis is like, come on, man. This isn't this isn't going to end well. And there is a really interesting point that I think that you're bringing up there with, with Yelich is I don't think we realize enough about we, are, we have our own um, – agency that is we have the ability to say look like i can win my fantasy league without quote getting the value on a guy that has fallen or taking a chance on the injury risk guy uh i think if people really are disciplined in your drafts and you can say you know what this guy has an injury risk i don't want to put myself in the way of that this guy i don't actually really buy into oh but oh he normally goes in the seventh round and now he's in the ninth who cares Really stick to your guys. There's so many players that you'll be able to get the ones that you want across all 23 rounds without shifting from the ones that you don't want. And it's there's a popular phrase of everybody has a price, which I do agree with. I, I also want to make sure that you know what that price is. It really has to be very far different from it because there's so many times that I felt pressured into making a pick because oh he fell around or something and I find myself not really liking that player and you you can draft what you want to draft stay to your plan really if you don't feel good about Tatis's shoulder who cares don't take it you don't feel good about Yelich's back don't take it at the end of the first round so be be very disciplined with that and really uh, do some mocks and see how that plays out for you um, before the season starts, and they're incredibly helpful for you to really try and practice that discipline. It's so important. Yeah, I've realized I want rounds of a discount, not a few picks or yeah. a round. I want rounds, and then it might be worth the risk. But like I said, whether it's at the beginning or the end, it was still a first-round pick, and so I, I realized that was a mistake because of – the concerns I had if, if, right. if, I, if you weren't concerned about his back then it was a great discount and and go for it absolutely so okay that's enough of first round talk yeah 
This is the second round, and I was shocked. I was absolutely blown away at your second round pick. Look, I, I, I joke about this often. I, I only focus on one sport. I don't talk about football. I don't talk about basketball. And inside that one sport, I only talk about one position. So I don't talk about hitters. And among pitchers, I don't even talk about relievers. So imagine my surprise when I had no understanding really of the of the closer market. Here in the second round, Kevin Hastings, you took Liam Hendricks as the first closer off the board. Second round to me, I mean, it just goes against everything we've seen in previous years. No, me see round. Maybe one guy goes around the fourth or fifth, and then generally closers start to go in the seventh, eighth round or so. But you said no. I I I imagine that in the next six picks. Someone else is going to take Liam Hendricks from me, and I can't let that happen. So talk to me. Why Why did you go with Liam Hendricks in the second round? Well, it's it's actually a combination of my second and third round pick. I, I probably could have gotten them in either order. Um, and I did have my co-host on On The Wire having would have two picks before it got back to me here. And we have had this discussion. So uh, I knew there was a possibility, probably not being 12 team head to head. He probably wouldn't have made the, that pick here with Liam Hendricks, but just to be safe, I went with him in the second round rather than wait until the third. Um, there's so much talk going on. Like we said, at we just both returned from first pitch Arizona on Twitter. The the big takeaway from all of fantasy baseball in 2021 and what Phil Dessault did in NFBC leagues is we need to maximize at-bats and then in, in quality innings pitched as well. And in order to be able to do that with my fab dollars throughout the season, I want to lock up some of the most difficult things to find on the waiver wire and what will be the most expensive things to acquire on the waiver wire in the draft. There's only a handful of closers that at this point I trust for 2022, and we can't really trust any of them. But if I'm going to trust a guy, it's a guy that's playing for a team managed by Tony LaRussa that has the the quality of innings that he will provide and will be the ninth inning guy every time they have a lead of three runs or less. I mean, I get it. I I think that Liam Hendricks will be uh, the number one closer entering next year. I mean, there's a lot of debate about Josh Hader versus Hendricks. Uh, but, I mean, the past three years, all under a one whip. His strikeout rate was 42% last year. Hendricks tossed 71 innings and also earned eight wins along the way. It wasn't just the 38 saves that he got. It was wins, too, which are also valuable, of course. 19% overall swing strike rate is absolutely ridiculous. It's I wonder where it will fall by the end. Uh, we talk about this on a lot of other mock drafts where a lot of picks are being made that are just temporary. They're, they're like, okay, this is your slot for a reliever whenever that happens is it going to be this guy i don't know but around my draft in march yes 11th round will be will smith the closer or a closer i should say i i don't believe that it your leagues everybody listening if you're in a state or 12 teamer 
You don't need to go and get Liam Hendricks, I would imagine, once there's more clarity on who the closers are. Um, right now, Liam Hendricks, Josh Hader, and I don't know, Araldus Chapman, Ryan Presley maybe, Edwin Diaz, maybe Emmanuel Class and Will Smith, maybe Giovanni Gallegos. So those are the ones that are locked and you think, oh yeah, they were going to have it. You could say Rizal Iglesias or Kelly Jansen if they sign the same teams or somewhere else. They should be closing. But you really don't have too many locked-in ones, which means that at this point, Liam Hendricks is propelled up because he's, you know, he has that position. But I think by February, March, there'll be a clearer landscape. Well, in all those 2021, guys. Josh Hader was going in the third round in late March. So is this in, is this in NFBC? NFBC, yes. So there is the difference there. This being head to head. Uh, the, the, there is that difference uh but it, i think they will be pushed up at, at least those two guys Hendricks and hater uh and hater did go in the fourth round so as i said this was a pairing for me with my third round pick as well and sure. i don't think i think Hendricks would also have went coming back in the fourth round before it got back to me so i, I, so I was okay, taking so- him either here or the third Okay, so let's talk about that then. So the third round then is Salvador Perez. And on the same thing you're talking about with Fab, like the two hardest things, replacing my catcher and getting saves, essentially. I I know you didn't mention, mention the catcher thing, but I, I saw what you were doing here. And uh, I I mean, Salvador Perez was in so many ways just, just so far removed from the next uh, catcher in production. I mean, to get... 48 home runs, 88 runs, 121 RBI with an average that actually helps at a 273 is absolutely startling. Um, the man p- played in 161 games as a catcher. That, that's just crazy. 665 plate appearances, more than he's had in his entire career, his highest. Uh, I mean, he has only one other season above 600. I so you think that next year this is in some ways going to hold where there is this giant gap between Perez and the next one. I think he'll be right there. I think Real Muto will play more games again. Uh, he was a, drafted in this spot in in leagues last season, and and missed some time and as was, and was banged up. But I think even if and most people are assuming we will have a designated hitter in the National League. We're not going to see the bump in playing time for as many catchers as some believe. Because if you go back to 2020, six and a half, and I'm saying half because of Austin Nola going from Seattle to San Diego midway through the season. Sure, yeah. Six and a half of the, the top 10 catchers in plate appearances we're still American League guys. We didn't get this huge bump in at-bats for National League catchers because they're good hitters for catchers, not good hitters overall, right? Uh, an exception, Buster Posey did not play in 2020. He opted out. So I do believe a designated hitter will uh, help him. Yes. Going forward. But uh, for the most part, most of these guys aren't going to get the bump that a lot a lot of people I hear talking, I I don't think it's going to be that way. And this is a a maximizing at-bats play for me. You brought it up, 161 games. When Perez doesn't catch, he he plays designated hitter. That will continue. He missed all of 2019 when he had that ACL injury due to carrying his luggage off of the bus. Mm -hmm. But in, in the past three full seasons, 
He's got well over 600 plate appearances. No other catcher comes close. So I will say that um, as far as the DH goes, the other four, the next four um, National League catchers, I would expect to get some bump. So as you mentioned, Buster Posey and Real Muto, uh, but also Will Smith in L.A. and Wilson Contreras for Chicago. Contreras, did he led the league in, in plate appearances in 2020. But that, they had Casale, who had a tremendous season. They they sure. don't have, I don't think they have a, another catcher they will trust with those plate appearances, at least right now for 2020. Right. So, I mean, so that's a, that's another benefit, too, is that they can't afford to lose Contreras and out of that lineup. So when he isn't catching in a given day, like, oh, no, no, we need you to get into the DH spot. Uh, so there is something to be said about that. But, I mean, Perez has always been a, a workhorse in this way. Um, 161 games, probably not. Never, you know, only had one season 150 before this one. Uh, but still, his ability, clearly, I mean, 26% homer fly ball rate, which actually pretty much matched 2020s, which is kind of nuts. I uh, Maybe there is something that legitimately sticks here, and of course not 48. Is not the, If expecting that would be silly. But a 30 home run season um, seems very much in the cards, and he'll be in the middle of that lineup constantly as he was batting third for the Royals pretty much the entire year, save for fourth. I think when they dealt Solera changed to the third. Uh, I could be wrong about who that was at third before. It's not my specialty, as I have announced <laughs> multiple times. But uh, I understand this pick. I think I'm going to be targeting Real Muto when I can. Uh, I think the gap between Perez and Real Muto looks so massive right now. And it will be smaller. But uh, I think we can all agree that Perez is clear-cut the number one. And there are many strategies to be had about do we wait on catcher, do we not? Me, with my skill set of not wanting to ever think about a position in season, and I just want to only think about starters, yes, I am all for grabbing a catcher early. So I have no problem with this. And considering your strategy, you wanted to get Salvador Perez so then you had to get Liam Hendricks too because you did you wanted to get a closer you know, by the fourth essentially and you didn't think that he would be around. I understand this a lot more now. So the the question then comes: All right, by taking Perez and Hendricks, what are you missing out on? And fourth round, well, I mean, it does seem like you're recovering well. Generally, if you're missing out on hitting, or you know, essentially Hendricks there would be maybe a starter, but you understand what I'm getting at. Turner in Perez, you're missing out on some massive run RBI home run bat generally. And you made up for that with Paul Goldschmidt in the fourth. This was the third first baseman off the board. Actually, fourth because Vlad Jr. Is he your fourth? Was there someone else you wanted instead? Or was Paul Goldschmidt a direct target? No, he was a direct target here. I was hoping he would fall to me. I think Paul Goldschmidt is so much closer to Freddie Freeman than people realize. If you look over the past five seasons, how close they have been. And in fact, in a best ball league that I drafted a couple of weeks ago, I took Paul Goldschmidt when Freddie Freeman was still on the board. That may not have been the smartest move, but they're that close for me. So to get Paul Goldschmidt, over two rounds later than Freddie Freeman was taken, which was a, a good pick in that spot. It was, it was you that took Freddie Freeman in that spot. And, and I like him there uh, to get Paul Goldschmidt over two rounds later. Uh, I, I thought that was a, a good spot. And I, and then first base falls off for me. I, I wanted to get a first baseman early. So, okay. So 
I've mentioned this a couple times. I took a uh, Freddie Freeman because I was just uh, that's a name, and I know that, and that's good. <laughs> no, it's just a really high floor with Freddie Freeman, and that's how I go about my drafts. And I also had an anticipation that, like you just mentioned, that oh, first base does fall off, and I wanted to secure one and not have to worry and play that game. The more I've done these podcasts, I've kind of figured that, wait a second, Joey Votto and CJ Crone and Brandon Belt and Jared Walsh and Reese Hoskins and Anthony Rizzo and Josh Bell and Ryan Malcancel, um, all ninth round or later. And there's a lot of potential there for first baseman. It's a lot deeper than I imagined. Even Jose Abreu going in the seventh round, I think, is that's really good. Uh, Max Muncy in the sixth, even though he's actually second base value, but still. Uh, and Paul Goldschmidt, you make a really good point that, yeah, we're not giving him enough credit because he had this... 260 average in 2019 that worried us. And then it wasn't the most explosive 2020. Just six home runs in 58 games. But still a 304 average. He still scored 31 runs. It wasn't unproductive. 16% walk rate and a 19% strikeout rate is really, really impressive. It just didn't come with the same pop that we're used to with just a 10.7% homer five ball rate. Well, that changed to a 16% this year as he actually upcre- uh, upticked his He's fly ball rate a little bit, and Paul Goldschmidt had 31 home runs, 102 runs, 99 RBI, 294 average. And guess what? The stolen bases came back. He had 12 of them. That's not insignificant at all. And I think the most startling stat that I actually see of Paul Goldschmidt is that since 2013, there has been one season that Goldschmidt has not had uh, 155 games played. And I'm not even going to say 2020, because actually if you prorate that from 58 to 60, you pretty much have that too. It was only in 2014 he had 109. I mean, that means since 2015, he's been just the absolute rock for his teams. 158 games last year means the plate appearances are going to be high, which means he's going to hand at 200 runs in RBI. Uh, if I know that I can get Paul Goldschmidt in the fourth round of every one of my drafts, I would be doing it. So this is a seal of approval from me. I uh, it, It's kind of crazy uh, how good Goldschmidt is. Now, should it be getting a seal of approval because I'm talking about the depth of first base? I'm going to say yes. If I knew this, I might change my mm, Freddie Freeman going in a second, then I would replace him with something else instead of George Springer. But then again, I really do like George Springer, so I don't know. I don't know what I would do differently. Maybe I would go and get Maine Machado. Maybe I would do Devers. I don't I don't know. I'll have to think about this a lot uh, as we move closer to drafts, but Goldschmidt should be a target for everybody if he's in the fourth round. If he stays that way, I don't see why he would fall off in any way moving forward. And yes, I understand he just turned 34 in September. So what? He's, he's an absolute beast. So moving on to the fifth round, you went after Austin Riley in the fifth. And Riley, of course, someone that just exploded this year. So are you buying this career year? Maybe not to this extent, but at this point, it, it doesn't have to be to, to this extent. The, the biggest improvement is... The strikeout rate. Now I know that his strikeout rate was actually a little lower in 2020, but I wasn't buying it. I wasn't buying it yet. Uh, it he was he had the 36.4 percent strikeout rate in 2019 after he exploded when he first came up and was hitting a home run every other at bat. It seemed like ended up striking over 36 striking out over 36 percent of the time and. 2020 that came down to 23.8 percent 
he hit eight home runs in, in that shortened season. And there was mm, a little bit to like there, but I didn't buy in. Well, he maintained that strikeout rate at, at 25.4%, which isn't amazing, but for someone with his power, it's more than acceptable. I don't expect him to hit over 300 again. That was crazy, Kevin. Three of three. He, he has almost 1,200 career plate appearances now with a 272 career batting average, and that's that actually helps you. That's that's on the good side. It's not going to help a lot. It's not going to bring other players up, but it's definitely on the plus side of what we're shooting for in batting average. So if, if he can hit 270 or above, like his career average with this power that he has shown throughout his career uh, in that lineup and with Acuna back, hopefully to, to add uh, hitting above him in the lineup, even more RBI opportunities. Um, I, I like Austin Riley here. Man, 303 average. I, just, I still can't get over that. Austin <laughs> that was Riley, crazy. I mean, 226 in 2019, 239 in 2020. So, yeah, the main things that I attributed to that, right? You have the strikeout rates are still, I mean, it's not like you see a 303, you don't expect a 25% carry. You expect something like an 18 or at least under 20%. Uh, swing strike rate came down 15%, down to 13%. That's good. Good job, Austin Riley. Still. Not aggressive swing percentage at 50%, but not as aggressive as before. So being a little more selective, O swing came down to sub 35% levels. And you're saying, Nick, that's not good. It isn't, but it's better than it was before. Uh, and having a 368 BABIP is obviously going to help you from the 280 that Austin Riley had in the previous seasons. So expected average was 275. It's not really that drastic to me. I know there are a lot of people say, oh, no, Nick, that's 30 points. X average is a weird thing. Uh, and you can't really look in too much. And when it's a massive, massive, I'm talking like 70 points or so, then you say, okay, there's some things, shenanery going on here. Yes, I'm using shenanery. <laughs> but it's uh, it's not that crazy. I mean, his ex-Woba was 361 still, as opposed to 379. Like, this is, okay, he, he did a lot of good things here. And I would say... You know, it seems like to me that, yeah, his career three, 272 just happens to be really nice and, and beautiful where we say, oh, we take the average of the two and that's what it is. But it does seem like, okay, you're you're not the 230 guy anymore. You're, you're not that. But you're not going to be one of the leaders in National League average uh, moving forward either. Uh, it, it's certainly a risk of, hey, 160 games. This was a guy completely just in rhythm. I mean, I talk about rhythm with pitching, but... It's a thing with hitting, too. You get into the flow. And I, I if you don't know the flow, it's uh, look it up. It's a fun thing on Wikipedia. Um, it's just about confidence. Just about, like, any anyone listening, you know those moments when you are you feel good at a skill. And all you can do is just focus on that skill and execute it best. You're locked in your zone. You know, that's there's actually a, a scientific thing about the flow and how you actually perform better in those moments. Um, and baseball is like that. Any skill is like that. And Austin Riley certainly was in it and has is still in it as the Braves now go to the World Series. Yes, we're recording this um, before uh, the day before game one. So we don't know. We don't know if Atlanta won or not, or if Riley did more to elevate his draft stock next year. I guess I'll say is this. Um, it's not out of the blue that Austin Riley performed well, necessarily. That Well, it's not crazy to, to expect more success from Riley, is why I should be saying. 
this level, I, you know, I'm I'm someone that doesn't jump at career years, the breakout years. I don't pay it. Fifth round, uh, the guys that you could have gone with instead, um, let's say Corey Seager, Altuve, Tim Anderson, Kendall Marte, Anthony Rendon, Wander Franco, Max Muncie, Alex Bregman were the next hitters off the board. Were there ones that you were debating with Austin Riley? I, I guess this is, seems about right where he will go. But I, uh, because none of those guys are really jumping out the page, say for Muncie for me. No, and I have playing time concerns with those guys. And mm. Austin Riley had 662 plate appearances. Yeah, he and did. those are locked in. The Braves yes. are a good lineup. He's locked into his spot in the lineup. That number is not going to go down. So the counting stats should be there, at least close to it. Of course, as we said, the, the, I don't expect the batting average again. But the the counting stats will be there. You know, I I'm I'm cool with it. I, I get it. I mean, I'm looking at this now, saying, yeah, this is a guy who can produce on this level, and uh, the ones that went after the hitters just aren't don't feel as great <laughs> as Austin Riley. So yeah, I'm 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 sold with this. Uh, we're gonna move on to your sixth round. Um, no seal of approval. I'm sorry, it's too early. I don't do breakout years, but still, I like it. Um, <laughs> Max Freed, you finally went with your starter after five rounds. I like this approach. Get your hitting. I actually went and got a starter for the first time in this round as well. Um, was Max Freed someone that you you feel really high on, or were there some other guys that got drafted before? Uh, I'm curious uh, uh, your thoughts on this P- Freed pick. Well, he was one of the last guys I felt comfortable with being my my first starting pitcher. Uh, and I probably in most other drafts would have taken a pitcher in the fifth round. I prob in fact, Adam Howe took Aaron Nola in the in the fifth round. I would have taken Aaron Nola if he was available oh, for me. Okay. Why Nola? Uh, yeah. Well, I I think it's a, a lot of the He's a really, really good pitcher. I don't dive into as much uh, on the pitching metrics as as you do. Uh, I li- I get my pitching information from you. <laughs> but he's a really good pitcher. I'm I'm, yeah, I'm fine well, with that. I, I think that I I think he had uh, a little bit of a home run issue this season, and also did, a little yes. bit of a command issue. And like what, some of the stuff we were talking about in Arizona is, is those are very volatile and it appears that 2021 should be the outlier uh, for what he's done so far in his career there. I expect his ratios to be much better again in 2022 as we were expecting in 2021. Yeah. It's not even the ratios. I mean, the 112 whip is fine. Uh, Aaron Nola had a 463 ERA and that's, that's probably not going to stick. The changeup wasn't as good as we've seen in the past. And uh, there's just inconsistencies with the curveball was still amazing for Nola. It's still one of the best CSW pitches and just it's crazy. 40% CSW he threw it 27% of the time, which may he thrown out 800 of these. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's <laughs> a really good pitch. Um, but yeah, I, I, Aaron Nola, I, I have him, I think at 22 or so at the moment, maybe around 20. Uh, and I might be raising that a little. Actually, he's at 19. I have him at the start of Tier 4. I probably will put him into Tier 3. And Max Free to me, is uh, six spots lower at 25 uh, for me. Is there, uh, you know, that that's in a group where a lot of these guys went. So, for example, Tier 4 has Aaron Nola, Clayton Kershaw, Carlos Rodon, Joe Musgrove, Shane McClanahan, Alec Manoa, and Max Freed. 
Lance McCullers, Charlie Morton, Pablo Lopez. And I would say only Nola had been drafted at this point. There was Luis Castillo still on the board uh, that I personally right now haven't ranked higher, but maybe I shouldn't. And I might be flip-flopping that because I don't believe in the whip of, of Castillo to get better. Uh, but yeah, I'm curious. I mean, keep in mind, Castillo win the seventh round. I... Uh, you know, I, these are tiers that I made. These are not definitive ones. A lot of these guys were available. So is there certain aspects of free that you felt really comfortable with? Late in the year, he went deep into games. 12 of his last 13 starts, he went at least six innings. That that was the deciding factor for me. Hey, volume is a huge thing. And good volume is even better. 311 ERA, 109 whip, and 24% strikeout rate for Max Free this year. Uh, I want his I want his slider to return to his former state of being the surprise. Oh, hey, you have a really nice slider. Uh, I it, it was not it was not what I wanted to be yet. Like we haven't really seen that next step. Uh, just a 28% CSW on it has never had a swing strike rate above 17%. While his curveball was a lot of the what we've seen in the past this year, I think actually just overall better, better command of it too. Um, similar CSW results and everything, but the lowest batting average allowed since 2018 on it with a 158. Um, as he leaned on it a little bit more often with the slider, not that great. And the fastball was, I mean, solid strike getter and 70% rate highest we've seen from Max Freed this year. Uh, and it wasn't the best uh but i i think it worked out well with a good ground ball rate 60 percent, and that kind of allowed free to go later into games right you're essentially getting you're being more efficient of a pitcher there is another step for max freed still uh and i think that's with the slider really soaring as a swing strike rate pitch which i think it can be i mean it just comes with the consistency in time so uh, hopefully we get to see that from max free next year if we do i mean 165 innings this year could turn into 190 next year and then you have a really, really amazing top 10 pitcher potentially with Max Free. Just don't know what we're going to get quite yet. So, I mean, this is your strategy right now. You have five, five hitters. Uh, sorry, four hitters. I apologize. I take this back. He's not quite <laughs> like me. Keep forgetting Liam Hendricks. Nope. Yeah, he's not dark red on the, on no, the green. No, he is not. <laughs> I, so four hitters, one closer, one starter. And at this point, are you thinking, okay, I have a certain way I want to craft the the middle rounds or based on this draft, or are you just kind of taking best player available? Right now, I am concerned, even in 12-team, three-outfield league, that outfield can dry up pretty quickly if you lose track. I mean, it, it, it is deep, but not quite as deep as it has been in the past. Uh, so I am concerned about outfield. Also, I was concerned about stolen bases. I'm not expecting double-digit stolen bases out of Paul Goldschmidt again. I, I think sure, yeah. we'll get more than a handful. The the eight to ten range is what what I would pencil him in for. And I have Trey Turner, but with Salvador Perez, Austin Riley, I I need to get some more stolen bases. They're going to dry up as well. So who'd you get? I, I got a guy that is known for his postseason heroics, but I think it's overlooked. He had a really good year, 2020. Uh, 2020 home run stolen base season, not yeah. the year 2020. <laughs> In 2021, Randy Rosarina. And uh, also, as much as we 
think about the the shuffling that Tampa does and the matchups they play. He played every day. There's something to be said about that. That's why he had 94 runs. There was, of course, the 141 games. He missed some time. But uh, Rosarena, I mean, seems like there's even more potential from here as well. Uh, so 2020 at this point in the seventh round, you know, non average is going to kill you. This is going to be production. The RBI totals, maybe not as much. Uh, but with Goldschmidt, Perez, Riley, and I mean, even Turner in the three spot. Yeah, you're going to be fine there. Um, and so Rosarena seems like, yeah, that's that's a fitting pick. I, I agree with you on the sentiment that uh, outfields uh, can get messy quickly. Um, and it's always a it's always a situation. It's like you have these elite guys and it can be really easy to go after Teoscar Hernandez and uh, you know Aaron Judge and Tyler O'Neill, And then you have Harper as well, whatever it is early on. And just, oh, my God, all these great players. And then you think, oh, no, I should have gotten my infield guys. So fine, fine. I need to get the infield ones instead. And then you turn around and go, wait a second. Who are the ones in the middle runs that I actually like? Uh, is it Conforto? Is it Fran Mill Reyes? Is it Kelnick? Is it banking on Grisham to come back or Joey Gallo? Then by the end, it's uh, I'm going to take a chance on Jesus Sanchez or Joe Adele coming back. It, it can really, as you said, dry up. So have a plan. I mean, you guys know this. Have a plan for every position. Know what you're going to do. And I think at the seventh round, you need to take an outfielder. So this was the right call for you. And also, so many outfielders, when you start getting to this point, also qualify at an infield position. And people snatch them up to use them there. So great, that, great point. that contributes to it as well. So you have like Chris Bryant is a good example of that. Yeah. Um, you can get him at third base, of course, as well. I I will say my general strategy that I try to adhere to for 12-teamers is uh, at some point, I can't just go fill up my entire lineup before I get a starter, right? So I need to figure out what are the places I feel more comfortable later in the draft filling out. And as of right now, and pretty much every year, at the very least, I normally go two outfielders, and then I figure the easiest one to replace in season is an outfielder. There, are, There's just more opportunity for it. Uh, there are more players out there. There's always something. There's a Frank Schwindel that shows up. Uh, and, you know, it's the, the Joe Schmo effect, as uh, John Metzler would call it, is that Frank Schwindel does not sound like an exciting ball player, just by name. Sorry, Frank. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's, you know, so people will be reluctant to pick him up. But it's easier, I think, in season to find a third outfielder than it is to find a replacement second baseman, than it is to find, you know, your next stud shortstop necessarily. So yeah, that, but- that's where I go. And for your first couple of outfielders, going back to plate appearances again, we have to be careful. It's not just the Rays anymore. We saw the Giants do it this year. We've we've seen the the Dodgers do it. When we're playing matchups, it's outfielders that that are doing the platooning. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Uh, So, yeah, get those plate appearances that you believe in. And, yeah, Hastings understands everyone. Volume, volume, volume wins championships. All right. Eighth round. Speaking of volume, you have Jose Barrios here. I uh, I, I did the um, uh, one of the podcast room panels, whatever, in, in First Pitch, Arizona. I was able to do a live podcast of OTC. If you haven't listened to that podcast yet, it's a lot of fun. Miles Nelson and I reviewed the 2021 season and just kind of had a nice moment to reflect um, on things we learned and who did really well, who didn't. And I asked actually Eno, who was outside 
um, to come in and heckle me um, <laughs> purposefully. I said, I want you to heckle me on this podcast. And it was wonderful. And hopefully you guys can hear it loud enough on the podcast. But he shouted. The first thing he shouted at me was, Jose Barrios is not a Toby. And he's not, but I would say he's the Toby of aces. Like he's never going to be a top 10 guy, right? But you are going to get a season between a 350 ERA and a 390 ERA. I was chasing it the entire season. I was looking at it and he eventually landed a 352. He was so close. Rios had a 344 and it just, just fell apart enough to get to 352 by the end. But 192 innings is essentially matching his last three seasons, not including 2020, but even that, he made all 12 starts. Uh, 106 whip was excellent. 26% strikeout rate was great, as best he's had. But then again, I think strikeout rates across the league went up, so there's not nothing really too startling there. Uh, is this pretty much what you see, or is there anything new that you see from Barrios for next year? That, that's exactly what I see, and I, and I completely buy into what you brought up on on the live podcast that you recorded that you just mentioned, and you brought it up on the panel, and you've talked about it throughout probably the last four or five years. You want four guys that you can just set them and forget them, and I, I think Barrios is one of those guys. Also, in, in addition to his, his nice strikeout rate, his, his walk rate went down to 5.8%. Yes. So, his, so his K minus walk was over 20. And that's a, a nice benchmark for me. K minus walk over 20%. Love that. The 192 innings, three of the last four years is exactly where I was going to go that you mentioned as well. Yeah, the uh, K minus walk rate is pretty much known as like the best stat. If you only want to look at one, it's K minus walk rate. Yeah, that that's just it guys there's a lot of things that go on into that and i'm all about the nuances of those changes and that's the fun for me but if you really just want to sort pitchers by k minus walk rate you will do pretty well if you have nothing else to do for your drafts uh so jose barrios i call him the great undulator the flag uh in the wind um as he will constantly through the season be maddening just know this but you got to be like kevin just set and forget do not overthink this do not think, oh, no, is he actually that good or not? Just just don't just don't think. Just start Jose Brios every day, and it'll be some bad. It'll be some great, and that's going to be that. But, yeah, eighth round sounds about right. I don't know if he's necessarily a target, but, right, as you mentioned, he is someone that would be in that four. And if he happens to be there, great. That is awesome. Uh, ninth round, <laughs> you took a guy that, uh, that Shelly Verstraight was very upset at me about. Because I called him, quote, the Toby of hitters. <laughs> and I, I didn't personally see enough from Brian Hayes in that 2020 season for me to think, oh, this is someone who's really going to be on my, you know, my roster through the year. And I feel, yeah, I drafted this guy and he's going to give me all the production that I want. And that's fine. So Brian Hayes is passing across 400 plate appearances, which think about, uh, I don't want to say two thirds, but like 60% or so of a typical season, just six home runs, nine stolen bases, uh, 49 runs, 38 RBI, 257 average. That does prorate pretty decently in the run category and stolen bases. Homers are a little underwhelming. Uh, RBI are fine, but not exceptional. Uh, are you seeing the larger leap coming for the 25-year-old in 2022? 
I, I think so. And I, and I wouldn't disagree, I don't think, with the Toby of hitters. But I, I think at this point in a draft, I can go with that when that's what he's been. But I think there's potential for more. Uh, I I think the the power, the lack of power had to do with lingering injuries and uh, this is kind of a, a shot here in the ninth round at improvement. Um, I think this might have been a bit of a reach, but it's one I wanted to take because I think there is potential for growth here and him coming into 2022 completely healthy. So this, uh, I know this is going to come as a shock, and I don't really say this, but I would, I, I this might be, because you had a really nice draft. I, I think this is my least favorite pick of yours. <laughs> Just because uh, there's so many good players still here. And you don't need Cabrian Hayes. You've got Trey Turner. You've got Perez. You've got Goldschmidt, Riley, and Rosarina. Uh, sure, this would likely... No, actually, this would be your utility spot this far. Maybe Austin Riley's the outfield. You can put uh, Hayes into third base. I don't actually even know if that's true. I should know that, but I don't. I uh, the, uh, the one... It, it just seems to me like you can get Lance McCullers or Charlie Morton or Pablo Lopez. These starters that will really, really help your team. You can get Araldus Chapman. Also, now you have Hendricks and Chapman, and you're stacked there. Um, and by the way, you have one outfield for Riley. He does have 10 first base. I didn't realize that. So he's actually another first base option, Austin Riley. Uh, but no no outfield. So this would be your first utility bat. And Brian Hayes, to me, doesn't. Uh, there are a lot of flyers to take later on. If you're trying to take a take a shot here, I, I don't think that you are anticipating like a 20-30 upside for Cabrian Hayes. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, but it doesn't seem like the, the the mountain you're climbing here is worth denying the, the, the wonderful fruits and valleys. I don't know. This is a terrible analogy. <laughs> the wonderful oasis you could travel to instead uh, of, of many others uh, that are still available. I, I think a lot of it has to do with, once again, playing time and accumulating mm. at-bats. Uh, he, he's a well over 600 plate appearance guy If in a full healthy season. Hitting at the top of a line up for a bad team he's not sitting he's going to play every day uh so the the runs will be there i think the most overlooked category in fantasy baseball is runs scored and that's a big mistake because for the past three seasons one of the first things i've looked at is the categories the category breakdown of the the leaders in every league I've played in and including overall contests. And if you sort by the runs category and then look over to the left at the overall rank, there's a lot of low numbers more so than any other category you sort by. So I think we overlook runs scored and those will be there even for a bad team playing every day at the top of the lineup. So there are, there are a lot of thoughts there. Uh, One, Good point. Volume and position uh, in a lineup are incredibly important. It's actually one of the things that I focus on uh, every year when I look at the guys like who's batting third, fourth, fifth for every single team and really one through five for each team expected. 
And that is inherently how you can find just tons of quote unquote sleepers. Just we don't care about this guy, but uh Guriel's gonna be hitting fifth or something for the Astros or whatever it is. Like that's great. I'm cool with that, right? Granel Gritchick getting those opportunities, that kind of stuff. Uh so there is something to be said, yeah, about that. With with runs specifically, I imagine that uh the reason for the winners having tons of runs is because a lot of the best hitters also get runs because they get on base a ton. So if you have a lot of really good hitters, they're going to get your runs. And there's a general massive correlation for that. Yeah. It's kind of backwards, right? Every, everything, every other category contributes to it. So it's, it's a a good quick glance, I think for for the overall performance, power hitters are scoring because they're, they're knocking themselves in (laughs) (laughs) stolen base guys are getting into scoring position. So it kind of helps all the way around, but it really is substantial. Uh, If Mm. anybody out there gets a chance to take a look at their league, sort it by run scored and look over to the left, the the best performances in the league perform well in runs. And a side note going to your specialty, Nick, what do you think that category is for pitching? Uh, I would imagine it's strikeouts. It's whip. Or it, a oh, lot. It's substantially. A yeah. Substantially. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. That just, that, yeah. That, yeah. It, and once cares, again, it's, it's, it kind of goes backwards, right? If, if you're contributing and everything else, you're probably, yeah, if you're, if you're whip. performing well as a pitcher, that means you limit guys on base. That, yeah. that, that seems about right. Uh, I just like, want it to be strikeouts every single time because of the most thing ever. <laughs> Uh, but right. So, so, I mean, that is a much better point that I wasn't thinking about with, with Cabrian Hayes. I, uh, I likely won't be making this pick. You can make an argument that, uh, that a lot of the hitters available could maybe actually, I'm, I'm looking at the ones next one. DJ the Mayhew down year, JT Ramuto. We talked about that. Austin Meadows playing time is weird. Uh, Josh Bell, not the same kind of play as, 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 uh, as Hayes. Cody Bellinger, of course, very weird. So I understand that you're seeing some sort of dropout in the in this near tier, um, as far as consistent run production. I uh, but I still don't think it does enough in the ninth round where you can get major gains elsewhere, and, and especially in pitching, because uh, you only have two starters at this point. But I I look forward to looking really dumb. Just it just I I I <laughs> I, I, I cannot wait. So we're going to move to the uh, the 10th round now. That is going to be, oh, it's my boy. Uh, well, we're going to actually listen to who that is after a quick break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, so through that, you're probably wondering, who is Nick's boy? Well, I mean, that's Zach Gallen in the 10th round who had himself a tumultuous season 
Uh, to say the least, he was injured before the start of the season. It was an arm injury. We didn't know when he'd come back. He did. And then it was a hamstring injury, and he never quite got into rhythm. 121 innings, a 4-3 ERA, 129 whip, 27% strikeout rate, but 9% walk rates. Uh, are you buying a b- bounce back for Gallon in 2022, Kevin? I, I think I am. And it, uh, again, he he finished the season. Sure, there was a couple of outings where, where he gave up some runs, but he was going deeper into games starting at at the end of July through the end of the season, a lot of six and and seven inning outings with the strikeouts there. So I'm really buying into the fact that he's healthy and with another off season, full off season to contribute to that health factor as well. And this is somebody that, was the talk of 2019 first pitch Arizona. <laughs> I couldn't and, shut up. I couldn't shut up, Kevin. Nobody could. We all loved him, <laughs> but we're not getting him anywhere near this point the last couple of seasons in drafts. If he's healthy, I think this is he he'll be going four rounds earlier if he looks healthy in spring training in March. Yeah, it's something else. I uh, I remember getting Gallon, I think, in the 16th round as my IL spot or something along those lines. Because he essentially even said, like, oh, no, I'm going to be back before you you realize, which was he made his first start on the 13th of April. <laughs> yeah. Which is, wait a second. We were like, whoa, 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 whoa. You have an arm injury in, in March. You're out to, like, June, July. And he goes, nah, we're going to, I'm good. And he came back then. Um, and he wasn't, you know, Gallon wasn't so incredible, but it, it seemed like things were all right. Then had the uh, the hamstring injury in May, May 7th, and then went down for about a month and change. And, and you know, eased his way back, but essentially was, uh, uh, you know, undisturbed the rest of the way, save for one. You know, the all-star break was a long one, 15 days in between uh, September, uh, July 2nd and the 17th. But the thing about Gallon this year that really frustrated me is he never really had his full repertoire cooking. The the element that I've always loved about Gallon is that he has a, a fastball that gets a ton of called strikes. Um, 23% plus every single year. This past year was 25%. 2020 for Gallon's four-seamer or just total fastballs, 29% called strike rate, which is crazy good. That is so good. And why specifically that's great is that generally when you have a pitcher, the batters take most advantage of fastballs. If you're telling me that batters just are not swinging at these pitches at fastballs, that's great. That's just a really good thing. That means there's less opportunity for them to do damage against you and allows you to constantly progress and be more efficient. The thing is, it requires then for his changeup cutter and curveball to really do the rest because this fastball is not getting high swing strike rates. It's always sub 10%. This past year was just 6.7%, which is really, really low. And in the past, the changeup and cutter have been really exciting for me. The curveball's always been this good pitch, um, always above 30%. Uh, CSW rates this year was a, around 30%, but still it was the best of the secondary pitches that we saw. But the changeup and cutter, oh no. Uh, the cutter, which honestly is a slider, um, Gallon himself told me that he has to think it's a cutter in his head to throw it, but it's a slider. The more he thinks of it like a fastball, the more effective it is. Just a 20% CSW this year. Oh, dear. That is that is not good. 
That, that is very, very bad. 317 batting average allowed. While the changeup went from being an elite 36% mark in 2020 down to 23% CSW. Not getting in called strikes on and not getting the same whiffs. Uh, the O swing on the pitch dropped to 36% after being 43% and higher in previous years. There's a lot to fix here with Zach Gallon, and he never got into that proper four-pitch mix where you don't know what's coming. And I think in the offseason of health, Zach Gallon can get back into that rhythm. He never quite found it in season, but we'll see. I mean, he is a little bit cross-body. He's a... He, uh, he is on the third base side of the rubber and then steps a little bit farther over. Um, it could have been that the injuries just did not quite get him in that timing again. But he still wasn't the worst thing ever. You know, still having a 129 whip and a 37%, 27% strikeout rate with that volume that you mentioned. There's something to be said about it. Um, and hopefully it means that he can have more than four wins in a full season in 2022. I'm excited for him. I just don't, I just don't know yet if we're going to see a healthy gallon. And if we're going to see one that's fully locked in. Yeah. The other thing for my starting pitching in general, like I said, I really buy into your let's get four guys set and forget. And for right now, that's Zach Allen for me, but I, I don't even think it needs to be four in a 12 team league. I think we can take risks on a guy like Gallon getting healthy because you keep bringing up all of the guys after 280 ADP that were phenomenal last season. And we didn't even draft 280 guys in this draft. Right. We only got to 276. So pretty much anybody I draft as far as a starting pitcher is replaceable in my mind. Yeah, it's um, I mean, that, that, that system of four is is more of, hey, you you won't be hating yourself if an injury happens or so. It gives you a little bit more of a cushion. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's certainly seasons where I have like two and then I have to, okay, Nick, let's uh, crack the knuckles. (laughs) Let's get this going. Um, that is the biggest question of gallon, but I would put him inside of that core four. Um, you know, he's, he's certainly in my ranks in that way now. Yeah. I don't, it's more of a discussion of, are you going to drop this guy or not? Not necessarily about health more about, am I, does he, do I feel like he's worth my roster spot? And that answer is yes for 2022 for Gallon for me. So that's completely fine uh, in my book. Um, 11th round, you went back to the closer well. You said, okay, Liam Hendricks, fine. But I actually took yours. Will Smith, I think to me, save for maybe Gallegos, um, is one of the last guys, the uh, last closers that I see on the board going, oh, yeah, that's that's a closer. Um, is that how you felt drafting Will Smith, the reliever for the Braves? Yes. Uh, af- after some of the reaction to Liam Hendricks in the second round, not just you, but other- others in the chat room that were, that were in this draft, uh, I knew I was going to draft Will Smith. It was just a matter of when I would have to take him. Uh, of the group of guys that went just before him that made me realize, oh, it's, it's time to grab him, uh, the previous two rounds – uh, Rysel Iglesias, Chapman, who you've mentioned, Emmanuel Classe, Kenley Jansen, Presley Diaz. I like Will Smith better than these guys, not because of skills, but he's locked into that big contract. Nobody had a higher percentage of their team saves this season than Will Smith. He's going to have to get completely blown up to not 
continue to be sent out there in the ninth inning. And that's what I'm drafting here. Unlike with Liam Hendricks, where his his skills contribute more than just saves. And, and I'm looking for that. I'm looking for the amazing whip ERA 70 plus innings uh, of those ratios with over a hundred strikeouts. Will Smith, this is just my saves Two guys plug them in. I plan on winning the save category most weeks in a head to head format and only using two relievers to do that. Meaning I can have seven spots four starters uh i'm big on streaming pitching as well when it comes to starters so having more volume for my starting pitching spots yeah i mean i i completely get that um and it's not even to say that will smith can't hint at 100 strikeouts as 87 this past year strikeout rate fell slightly from uh the 34 percent 37 percent we saw in 2018 2019 i mean it was pretty much in line with 2020 Swing strike rate dropped three ticks from last year. So maybe he can get a little bit more out of what he offers. Uh, but yeah, 11th round Will Smith sounds great to me. I love also the, sh- the slight shade you threw in my Kenley Jansen pitch, which I agree <laughs> with. I get it. I probably should have taken Will Smith. It's fine. I didn't even consider the fact that Jansen uh, might not even be a Dodger next year. And I just saw the guy that was the most stable, safe producer there is. But then again, Will Smith is absolutely locked into that role for a very long time now. Uh, we're going to move on to your 12th round. And you went with Chris Bassett, who isn't the f- most fun, I- incredible, exciting play. But you want to talk about four that you're not going to drop. I mean, I don't think you're going to drop Chris Bassett next year, Kevin. Uh, we talk about when it comes to hitters a lot, the old, boring guys uh, being great values. And Chris Bassett, I think, is the pitcher. <laughs> that is the old boring guy that people just don't like to draft where he should be. It, it's been since what, 2016 since he's had a bad year. I mean, it's uh, crazy. It's, it's, it's been a long time and it, you keep nuts. thinking and, and really his entire career, except for 2016. Um, obviously he wasn't, didn't have the, the strikeouts back then that's just come over the last two full seasons where he got close to a strikeout and inning in 2019 and then just over that in 2021 uh so the strikeouts coming along and got close to 150 innings pitched in 2019 got over that in 2021 in spite the horrendous injury that we all saw and it's amazing that he came back at the end of the season and performed well at the end of the season. Uh, yeah, it's just another, the the last of my set him and forget him guys. So I think the number one thing that I have underrated with Chris Bassett and uh, it, it's, it's, it's actually really shocking to me. I never picked up onto this until actually just looking at this right now is um his four seamer is used in strikeout counts and is very effective at it. I uh, seeing a four seamer have a 37.5% strikeout rate this year uh, is shocking. Uh, typically you see four seamers as, you know, that's your pitch that you throw with a heater. So you have a lot of events that end with that heater, but he throws sinkers not earlier counts and Bassett then turns to four seamer late. And guess what? That has a 13.6% swing the strike rate this year on a four seamer. That's a, uh, that's really good. And this explains the puzzle that has been Chris Bassett for me a lot of what really is that approach. And I've been looking at him a lot and thinking, okay, it's sinkers, a ton of called strikes on it. That's what, how he does this. And then 
you have a cutter that sometimes shows up or a, cha- a curveball or changeup, and I have not. I I've done a disservice not recognizing the effectiveness of that four seamer. I uh, this past year, 183 batting average allowed. He threw it 457 times. It's not like he threw just 150 or whatever. I mean, we're talking a very significant amount um, of four-seamers at a 32% O-swing, which is really good for a fastball. Uh, I mean, I talk about with sinkers going off the plate, but with a four-seamer, that means he's elevating to effectiveness uh, with this pitch, and that's a legitimate skill. Um, I might be raising Chris Bassett now because, I mean, the reason that I have him at 46 is this question of, okay, is Bassett really going to yeah, be... where did the strikeouts come from? Yeah, and, where is it and, going? Is he really a 25% strikeout guy? He's always been above 20, but it always seems a little bit weird. And I see more as a 22% because I didn't really see that approach and get it. And I don't know how I missed this. I mean, I, I know that our player pages this past year, and there will be different next year, don't worry, separated out four, uh, uh, sorry, grouped all fastballs as one pitch. So it just, you know, it says four seamer, but really that's actually sinker and uh, two seamer into that four seamer number that you see on their player pages. I uh, Next year you will see it separated out. And I think that messed me up and I, oh, I did a disservice to everybody. Um, so I apologize. I'm now I'm more in. Uh, now I'm more in. I mean, the fact that his his whip totals has never been have not been above 125 since 2018, and even the past three hasn't been above 120. Uh, there's something to be said about that. He'll have volume in Oakland. They'll let him go. I will say, there will be a lot of starts. I think from Bassett where you're you feel wrong. You know, you feel like this isn't. This isn't exactly enough or it's questionable. I mean, remember even the beginning of the season, the first three starts certainly gave me this impression. And then he exploded. Uh, but Bassett's first three starts had a total of 11 strikeouts and uh, nine iron runs. And you just felt this is pretty boring and basic. And then all of a sudden he just exploded eight, eight strikeouts, eight, nine, seven, ten. And you're like, OK, I, I, I'm understanding this now. And yeah, I think oh, I think I'm in. So. I get it. <laughs> 12th round, Chris Bassett. I'm a fan of this. Um, I, I'm, oh, you, you turned me around, Kevin. You finally, finally made me see the light I uh, that everyone's been saying, Chris Bassett's underrated. Chris Bassett's underrated. I've, yeah, I got to change things. So I might be putting Chris Bassett now around tier five, around like Gallon and Trevor Rogers, above Oscar Inoa, above Tyler Molly. I think that sounds right to me. Yeah, something like that. So, yeah, I I like this. I guess it's a seal of approval then, my lord. (laughs) I'll take it. Above Tyler Molle surprises me because I considered him when I took Gallon. I'm Mm. a fan. So, so what went to Nick Pick at that point? What drew you to Tyler Molle? Just a, a lot of it was the development of the Reds pitching staff in general over the last couple of years and him probably being uh, other than when, when Trevor Bauer was there, him being right there with uh, Luis Castillo and, and how well they were performing. Um, but it, he, he's just somebody that I, I've been a fan of. I know he faltered uh, a little bit in, in the second half of 2021 um, but I, I had considered him when I took Gallon, and he did go with the next pick. Well, well, Kevin, what did you say to me was the most important pitching stat? 
K minus walk. No, yes. Oh no, whip, whip, whip. whip yeah. Right, that was the one that uh, that ranked everything. Right, it was whip. And Tyler Molly is a, is not good at that. <laughs> I mean, one twenty three, one fifteen, one thirty one is his last three seasons, and you really want to kind of say the last two because Tyler Molly was not himself in two thousand nineteen. But I don't think t- of Tyler Molly as a guy who's going to hint at a one hundred five or so. You know, he's going to be more than one fifteen range is what you're hoping for. He had a one twenty three this past year, Tyler Molly. 8% walk rate, and that's kind of the problem with it. In high hit per nines, around 8 or so is what I would expect. 642 last year is 7.9. And the volume isn't as significant. It was 180 innings, but he needed all of his starts to get it. They're all 33. And keep in mind, Bassett was limited by the end. I, I If I had to put a wager down, I'd say Bassett throws more innings than Tyler Molly in 2021. And again, I mean, Bassett, 119, 116, 106. Uh, low walk rates, uh, just more efficient pitcher. Um, I, I think that Tyler and Molly were kind of chasing this breakout year because of those strikeouts. But the fact that the slider isn't so amazing um, is is bothersome to me of Tyler and Molly. I think there's more volatility in it. Yeah, and Chris Best, I mean, it's going to be really close. Um, yeah, I, I think I kind of prefer the rock of Chris Bassett right now, especially with that four seam we're doing its thing. So. All right, this is you know this is why I do these podcasts. Yeah, why I, I put out that early rank and then this I has made me things. feel even better about the <laughs> picking Chris Bassett right there. Yeah, man. Uh, now I'm a Bassett hound again. That's unbelievable. <laughs> um, all right, thirteenth uh, round, and man, we are whew, we are taking our time through this. We've about uh, an hour and fifteen minutes in, so we might go a little bit long in this podcast. Because Ryan McMahon, I have not thought about Ryan McMahon once this entire year. So tell me everything I need to know about Ryan McMahon, Kevin. I think you just summarized why he was available here. <laughs> Nobody thought about him, right? We, we don't like Rockies hitters on the road at all. Yeah. Uh, we don't like how the Rockies treat young players. We don't like how Rockies distribute their playing time. And all of that general, you know, narratives, but he had 596 plate appearances, played in 151 games and a 254 batting average, which is, as you would expect, much higher at home than on the road. But evening out at a 254 doesn't hurt you much. It's getting a little concerning, but doesn't hurt you much. And at this point in the draft, a guy that has 80 or more runs and RBI with a batting average that doesn't hurt me over 20 home runs, I, I'm in. And like with many of the other hitters we talked about earlier in the draft, it's attributed to bringing down his strikeout rate. So I, I think he can sustain this. I don't know that he will hit 254. But even with his couple of horrendous batting average seasons he's had in his career, he's at 243 for his career, which would be acceptable at this point, as I said, for 80 plus runs in RBI. So this is your second baseman. Uh, Turner playing short, uh, Riley playing third. Uh, So you needed a second baseman. And that is the one position I feel you have to really have a plan for. Uh, it is the hardest one, I think, to find someone that you feel really good about in the second half. So I can understand McMahon who, hey, like you, yeah, 600 plate appearances are expected next year. And 160 runs plus RBI this past year, 166 actually. 
that's pretty good for for your backup second baseman. It is a little bit of an average suck. A 254 isn't going to kill your team or anything like that, especially in a head-to-head, like one hit or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't know if I'm necessarily going to go after it at this point. It makes sense as one of the later second base options. Cronenworth is another one that went on. You actually took another one in the 20th round. We'll talk about Nicky Lopez, uh, Vidal Bruhan, Jonathan Scope, Brendan Rogers. These are guys I'm seeing. And it could also be that, you know, clicky drafting update position eligibility. So it could be missing some. Maybe Luis Arias has second base eligibility. I don't know. I'm so sorry. Uh, but I. Uh, but yeah, this is something that I would like to avoid having McMahon. But, you know, considering you just had a 23 home run season um, as a 26-year-old, you can see as a 27-year-old, there's still opportunity for growth. And as you mentioned, brought down the strikeout rate to 25%. Hopefully that can keep falling further. Same with swing strike rates. Those went down. I it, there, There's a chance here that this can continue to explode it's also kind of cool to see his ground ball rates go away but they went to line drives and as alexander chase talked about in the last one line drives are the least sticky so we don't really know what to expect if that's going to go to the fly ball rate or back to ground ball rate next year um, but hey if it goes to ground ball rate maybe the average goes up but then it didn't in 2020 whatever uh, weird stuff i understand this mcmahon pick now uh, i appreciate the illumination uh, we're going to move on to the 14th round. This is Austin Hayes, and it's kind of funny. I think Austin Hayes was being drafted before Cedric Mullins before this season. Obviously, things have changed, uh, but still, 22 home runs, 73 runs, 71 RBI, 256 average, four stolen bases for Hayes uh, for the Orioles. In the three spot or so, he kind of bounced around from the top half to the, to the middle. Uh, what do you see for Hayes next year? I don't see him doing everything that he did late in the season. I don't think he can replicate what he did in September. Um, eight home runs hit 284. I, I mean, Adam and I talked about Austin Hayes on, on the wire multiple times as, as we were getting into August and September. He was really heating up. But I, I think some of this will stick. Like if you combine August with September, he hit 279 with 12 of his home runs. Am I going to give him 36 for a season next year? No. But could he approach 30? Absolutely. This, I think, like you said, he was probably going ahead of Mullins last season. He was even talked about more often uh, in 2019 when, when he was first coming up. And so it, it's a post-hype guy for me. I'm, I'm big, big on post-hype guys. I think that's what we're seeing here. He's a little older than, than we realize now because of that. He is already 26 years old, but that a peak season could be coming. I don't and think it's just going to be a prorated August and September, but it could be close to that. And that first half of the Orioles lineup is nothing to joke about. I mean, Mullins right. with uh, Mountcastle, who nice. Uh, Santander swings a hot stick. Uh, you have Trey Mancini, who we all know what he can do. And then there's Hayes. Not to mention, at some point, Rushman would come up and re- replace Severino. There are some things to like. You add maybe, uh, you know, Ramon Arias and Gutierrez at, at third and then Mateo at second. Sure, those things can be improved upon. 
who knows, maybe there is some sneaky ad that the Orioles make and that's all of a sudden a really good lineup. Uh, it, it's, uh, we always say this uh, about the, the, uh, the, the teams that are coming off of a high win season or sorry, high loss season where they are the underrated crew and you can theorize, they can hypothesize how that's actually really underrated lineup because we don't talk about them because they generally aren't that good, but this actually could be a case where they, um, all complement each other and Hayes would be a benefactor in the RBI department. Um, in that way, I don't know if we're going to see this split of runs RBI because he was shuffling around the batting lineup, uh, the batting order uh, a good amount this year. It's probably going to be more heavy on the run RBI than on the runs. Uh, but that could be something to, to target. And I think for you, you needed another outfielder badly. Uh, this right. is your second. This is my second outfielder. Oh, man. 14th and round. So it's the, getting tough here. The other thing about his, his final third of the season is the plate appearances skyrocketed for him. Uh, he hadn't had over 86 in any month prior to this earlier in the season. He had 109 in August and then 128 September in the first couple days of October. Now, is that because his performance improved or does his performance improve because he was getting regular playing time? Right. Yeah. I don't care. I think <laughs> there is a correlation and it doesn't matter which way it goes to me. I, I think we are going to see this. Some of these improvements stick going forward. All right, so let's go to the 15th round. It's Hyunjin Ryu, and there's going to be a lot of debate about this one. Uh, I'm curious where you stand with Ryu. At this point in the draft, I I mean, I don't even have to look at numbers here. Uh, And this is another guy that, after attending first pitch Arizona and listening to Eno talk and, and listening to what some of the things you said that, I, I, it's worth taking a chance on a, a guy like Ryu in the 15th round. You know, it was, it, if I'm remembering right, he was one of the guys that, you know, was telling us his, his command went away for this season. And, and with his multiple pitches and with that not being sticky year to year and it appearing that if you look at his career numbers, 2021 is the outlier in that, that facet. If his command comes back, then he's well worth a 15-round pick. Yeah, I mean, he's worth he's certainly worth his flyer now. Um, yeah, he's outside of your four. Uh, so this is someone that say you can see early on, is this worth it or not? And you go, oh, nope, okay, I'm done. Uh, the command, yeah, was was not there. The, the changeup was not nearly as effective as we've seen in the past. Uh, it's typically sub-200 batting average allowed. It's It's excellent. Nope. 256 this past year. Uh, it just did not get the same CSW rates, the lower chase rates. Uh, this used to be the elite pitch. 2019, I remember 52% O swing was just ridiculous. It was still good. 54, I'm sorry, 45% uh, this past year, but it got worse as the season went on. The swing strike rate went from, I mean, 18, 19, 24 in 2018 uh, to just 14.7 this past year for reused changeup. Not quite the offering he wanted it to be. And the CSW on his cutter, it was just a worse pitch, too. Batting average allowed, 250. Not going to cut it there, no pun intended. Uh, but 22% <laughs> uh, a CSW rate on it is not good, especially when you have that high of a batting average allowed on it. And he did have a curveball that he did have to lean on a little bit more. Actually, it was pretty much the same usage. But it was very effective. 21% called strike rate is what he wanted out of it, which is good. But like everything else was hit harder than than before usually sub 200 marks 
239 batting average allowed. Like the whole thing for Ryu was just worse. <laughs> and and, and yeah. he had to get through innings. He relied so heavily on a four-seamer stealing strikes. 28% called strike rate, which is so absurdly high. And I don't think that is going to stick. It's never really been, you know, higher than 21% in the past. So I wouldn't expect that, that fastball to be that effective a called strike pitch. Hopefully the something here, hopefully the changeup and or cutter really return to proper form uh, for Ryu. And they could. I'm not going to rule out that they can't. And I, I imagine that my initial ranking is too much leaning on his rhythm through 2021. Because honestly, at the end of the year, if you're telling me that right now we're going to have a full season, Ryu, no. People are, anyone that has rostered Ryu this year knows how rough that 437 array was. How's the, uh, how the, uh, the home run five ball rates were destroying him. It was a 122 whip, which is nice, but it was such a rugged second half um, where he had, it felt like every other start was a seven earned run start. I mean, it was every three starts he would have one actually starting August 8th. And that's not good. <laughs> you don't need right. me to tell you that. So, and he had these moments where the velocity was up on his heater. Oh, I should even mention that too. Uh, yeah, he was a sub 90 guy constantly. Um, he had moments when it was like 92 miles per hour, the fastball, but it wasn't here to last. It, it's just all very, uh, it's such a small margin for error when you're a command guy. And when you don't have that skill as high as it used to be, it falls apart quickly. Uh, so I hope it's all right. One thing I should mention, and I know I ran about pitchers, shocking. Um, Ryu for a while has been anticipated as a uh, health guy. Right. Like, what is he going to be healthy is, you know, I used to joke that he would look in for the sign and hurt his neck and be out for a month. And I I will say 2019, he got 182 innings, 29 starts, 12 starts in full of 2020 and 31 this past year. It feels like the health is gone or that the questions we had are gone. The The Blue Jays already said when they got him in 2020, saying that they only expect 150 innings. Um, and we only saw 169. It wasn't 31 of like 180. It was 169, a little bit lower, not as deep in the games. But then again, if he's better, he's probably doing those numbers. So I just don't want to rule out that the injury stuff is completely gone as well. But that's not a fair thing because everyone gets injured and that's not a fair thing. So I don't know. I I think it's a good flyer in the 15th round. If he does get that command back, we know the 26% strikeout rate from last year, the sub three ERAs that he's had for the previous three seasons before this sub 120 whip, etc. Um, and I hope it's right, but just be ready. If you draft Ryu and it's not there early, be ready to move on. Yeah, quick hook. Uh, I, I know we often say we can't chase wins in fantasy baseball. Uh, oh, you certainly but can. It is, but it is a category, and in spite of his struggles in 2021, because of that Blue Jays lineup, he had 14 wins. I mean, look at you. You have five pitchers right now. Four of them are on considerable winning ball clubs. I mean, then you have Zach Allen. <laughs> right. but, uh, but Chris Bass is for the A's. Freed for Atlanta. Uh, Barrios and now Ryu for the Jays. So that's something to consider. And it, it definitely is a stat that I like to ignore because I just like to think if you're really good, you're gonna they're going to come to you. But yeah, you can't. You need to have in the back of your mind, right? I can't just only draft Marlins pitchers. You have to get some guys on winning team to winning teams to make sure you're not losing that stat week to week. Absolutely. Um, speaking of the Jays, well, you got your junior finally in Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in the 16th round. 
Um, this has to be another plate appearance volume guy for you. Yeah. And lineup. He, he's oh, yeah. at the back end of the middle third of that lineup, sixth yeah, or sixth, seventh, seventh, most yeah. of the most of the season uh, in that lineup. That's a little lower in the order than we typically like. But in that lineup, he's still going to get four plate appearances per game minimum uh, to drive that up because he got 541 in only 141 games. Uh, he was banged up a little bit mid-season, but the strikeout rate below 20%, lowest of his career, actually. And uh, that led to, a, you know, lowest batting average of his career, 276. I'll take 276 all day at this point in the draft for somebody that is definitely in that lineup going to at least contribute in RBI, uh, 20 home run power. Uh, he has stolen a couple of bases in the past that kind of went away this season. Um, but at, at this point, I'll take my 20 plus home runs with uh, not not just decent, good batting average. I mean, that could be more than 21. Uh, that, was, that was 21 in 141 games, 541 played appearances for Guriel Jr. And it was a 15% home run five ball rate that fell down. It used to be 20% in the previous two years. Yeah. Maybe that does come back up. The strikeout rates went down. That's a good thing. It, there wasn't really a drastic shift in, in fly ball rates. Uh, pole percentage was slightly lower, but there's definitely a possibility that Guriel Jr. can increase those. And keep in mind, everybody, uh, if you're searching for first baseman, Guriel got 10 games, actually 11 at first base. So Lourdes Guriel Jr. is a first base option. If you need that or a corner infield spot along those lines and don't rule that out, especially considering, as you mentioned, that lineup is so good and he will have constant RBI production, even being in the six, seven spot, he still at 84 RBIs, which isn't something to ignore. Um, couldn't going to go through these quickly as I can here. We're already okay. going long again. Okay. So Carlos Hernandez in the 17th round. And something I've been saying a couple times is, man, these young, fun starters that normally I can wait until the 20th, 21st round. Oh, no, they just get pushed up so far um, in these drafts, which is understandable. You're taking chances. You're you're making mistakes. You're getting messy. The mess frizzle method that I talk about. Carlos Hernandez is up there. Uh, 96 mile per hour fastball, even maybe 97. Uh, two secondary pitches that maybe could take a step forward. Uh, how do you how would you plan uh rostering Carlos Hernandez if you drafted him here my concern right off the bat is the Kansas City Royals has several of these young interesting pitchers some of them have underperformed Carlos Hernandez has kind of been the surprise of the group but they may just flat out start the season with a six-man rotation due to having all these guys that is my concern but the exact reason I was taking him here was young, fun guy. Uh, as you said, these guys are getting pushed up, especially in a pitcher list draft. These guys get pushed up as much as the early pitchers get pushed down, right? Oh, absolutely. So, so it, it was a shot, a little bit of a homer pick here for me as well. Uh, I, I like Aaron Ashby being taken in, in the same area. A guy like this is who I was going to take here and uh, I, I felt pretty good about it because there there was a couple of guys in the chat uh, upset that he got snagged there so a uh, little confirmation bias <laughs> there you to, go. to help out oh. uh, I, I'm just excited to watch him pitch is I he he has the stuff the strikeouts haven't 
followed as as much it looks when you watch him pitch as much as i do i watch every single kansas city royals game it appears watching he should get more strikeouts so i'm hoping that is the case going forward that the strikeouts do come that that weren't there compared to how how well it appeared he was pitching yeah, Carlos Hernandez certainly passes the eye test of filth. Uh, I mean, yeah, as I mentioned, it's a 97.2 mile per hour fastball. I wasn't even giving enough credit when I said 96. Uh, the curveball and slider seem like they have the shape and ability to to get more strikeouts and swing and miss potential, but neither of them actually excelled. It was a 12.5% swing strike rate on the curveball and a 17% on the slider for Carlos Hernandez this year, but there were moments when it really, really shined. Um, And and to your point about the depth of the Kansas City Royals, um, their starting rotation right now by roster resource uh, is Mike Miner, Brad Keller, Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, and Carlos Hernandez. That does not include anyone they get in free agency and Daniel Lynch and Jacob Junis and Jackson Kowar. So starting the season as a six man does seem right as well when it comes to developing younger talent. I don't think the Royals are going to say, okay, this is our year we go off and get it. Maybe that can change in season if some of these guys really hit. But it does seem like, okay, yeah, we're going to go to the six-man rotation spot. We're going to ease this out, make sure everyone's healthy and gets their innings, all that stuff. That seems like a very smart play. Uh, but we'll see how that plays out. And, I mean, I think at this point when you are getting your sixth starter, you're not chasing a 180-200 starter. You're, you're fine with 150. You know, you're you're okay with a little bit less volume from these guys because you got that four that you're expecting the large volume from and constant production from. So that's okay. And if Carlos Hernandez gives you a Alec Manoa season of 130 innings, phenomenal. Yeah, you're you're, you're thrilled with that. I I don't know if it's going to be Carlos Hernandez. The biggest thing really is command with him. Um, you you've seen him. Uh, he doesn't put the ball where he wants to. <laughs> And uh, one thing I, I certainly implore all of you to do is watch a game and really just watch and get a feel for is this pitcher doing the things he wants to do when the ball comes out of his hand, it, he tries to go down and away. Is he throwing it down and away? Is he gaining that ball up and in? Is he is he throws a slider? Does he bounce it a ton or does he actually get it where he wants just under the zone? You can get the sense of a pitcher either battling himself or he's battling the batter. And more times than not, when pitchers are battling the batter, they succeed. So it's uh, just get that feel. And there are a lot of times I call these guys pieces, right? A poor execution, awesome stuff. Because they pass that eye test. You see that amazing gift we put out. And it's because, oh, man, look what they can do. But then you watch a game and it's just frustrating to watch because you feel the anxiety. You feel this struggle they're going through. And it doesn't quite you know, play out through a season. So that's something you can do personally. I try and do it as much as I can. Um, And hopefully Carlos Hernandez can get over that hump and battle the batter more than himself. Uh, Let's move on to the 18th round. Alec Bohm, who went to the minors. And I I, I talked to a scout who mentioned that uh, Bohm isn't really someone that he felt would be a massive impact player and he needed to go back down to the minors. And we know he did. Do you, I mean, you said it before, you're a post-hype kind of guy, Kevin. And I imagine you're taking a flyer here in the 18th round chasing that. Yeah, it is a flyer. You you mentioned that your least favorite pick of my draft was Cabrian Hayes. Uh, mine was Alec Bohm. Hmm. Um, it, 
it, it's a total flyer. Um, and already having Austin Riley, already having Cabrian Hayes on the roster, this just wasn't a smart pick in hindsight. Um, the hit tool, it as far as his, uh, uh, excuse me, his prospect reports, the hit tool should be better than what we've seen so far. So the, I could see taking a flyer on him later, maybe in deeper league drafts, but this was a mistake. Well, I will say it's the 18th round. You know, it's hard to make true mistakes in the 18th round because a lot of these guys are going to be replaced anyway. Uh, now, with that said, who specifically you're seeing after, so like Alex Verdugo, Joe Adele, Kirilov, Carl Kirilov for sure. With, Kirilov. Like, why, why him? I, I think he's a more talented player and was his shortcomings in 2021 were injury related and he'll be much better going forward. I, I'd much rather have him rostered uh, in hindsight. Well, maybe you can get him in drafts 18th round. There's a seal of approval <laughs> from Kevin Hastings given to Van Burnett. Um, let's go to the 19th round now. And this is Kyle Hendricks who last year, I I have been outspoken a bit about how I made this tier of starters that were just like the standard, like conservative volume, all that kind of stuff. They do the thing and don't think about it. And I was entering this this season with all the confusion of 2020 and deciding to lean on the guys that I thought would get volume because it's going to be harder and harder to find when all these teams are going to probably have more injuries and uh, and be hesitant to let guys go. So I'll go after Kyle Hendricks, who should be able to go and be normal. And it didn't quite pan out. And I'm now shifting my draft strategy in 2022, or at least my starting pitching rankings to say, I'm going to have fun and and go against the guys that I feel like I'm supposed to be high on. And Kyle Hendricks is one of those. So I I, I think 19th round sounds about right. But I imagine you're buy, buying some sort of bounce back from his 4770 array and 135 whip this past year. Yeah, absolutely. A uh, couple of years ago in the off season, I, I remember this is prior to uh, the Bat X uh, being released by Derek Cardi. I remember Eno Saris saying that projections don't include barrels. Well, I had a conversation with Alex Chamberlain shortly after that, and I asked him, "What is the pitching metric that is not included in projections?" And he said the, the one that he would look at to, to adjust projections a little bit uh, was Wobicon, weighted on base average on contact. That And then last offseason, he and Alex Fast and others on Twitter were having conversations about, you know, quality of contact being a skill for pitchers. And but I remember the, the exact quote that Alex Chamberlain said was, it's the reason Kyle Hendricks ERA outperforms projections every single year. Well, 2021 was the year it didn't. So that's the <laughs> outlier to me, right? I do see that coming back down. Uh, and and that's the reason it's 10 rounds later than we could have gotten him last year. And I, I see a, a bounce back down to his three and a half uh, ERA. That's even above his career average. If we get that and, that's what I, I see coming with the volume, you, you know, 181 innings. You were right about the volume, 181 innings 
for 20 thought it'd be so. actually worth your time uh, so, <laughs> right <laughs> uh, it's interesting you're talking about barrels essentially saying hey this is a good indication of how well they're controlling the con- contact that they get which is very intuitive and makes sense so in 2019 uh Cal Hendricks allowed 25 barrels and the reason I'm saying it like this instead of the percentage is because as Alex Schoenitz has said a lot it's more important over plate appearance than it is just battable events, right? Just how many Absolutely. is Kyle Hendricks doing it? So it's also really important with Hendricks who doesn't strike out guys. Um, so 25 barrels allowed in 2019, 50 in 2021 with just four innings different. Uh, that's a lot. That's There's something messy happening here. Um, it, and, and anyone, you know, I don't think that you are saying oh, this was just kind of luck and like it's going to regress back or so. To me, that's a very clear indication of if you're thinking that it was the same Kyle Hendricks in some way, it was not. I I, I don't know if it's redeemable. Um, he's always kind of been a he this works and OK, I guess he just it works kind of guy. Uh, with, you know, an 87 mile per hour fastball. Um, his curveball wasn't saving him as much as it used to. Uh, Kyle Hanks, Hendricks' changeup wasn't nearly as good as we've seen in the past. I mean, that used to be the pitch that would save him so often. And Kyle, Kyle Hendricks, his, his changeup just, just, yeah, it just, just wasn't the same. Uh, we're talking a 20% CSW as opposed to the 28% market at 2020. Um, that's not good. <laughs> you don't need me to tell you that. Um, strike percentage has been down on it dramatically. Uh, fewer called strikes on it. It's just not good. So I hope he can get all of it back. I hope he can be that pitcher that we all want him to be. Um, but Kyle Hendricks to me, I would rather personally chase, uh, other things if I could I mean I see underneath here I'm surprised actually they went this deep was James Caprillion and Anthony Descafani for example who I think are going to be like that Hendricks approach of just not really the most exciting thing ever but I think they're going to be more dependable uh, as far as the strikeout rates go and similar volume uh, for both uh, if I were to, to lean on this but I mean hey who knows maybe Hendricks just had to tweak something it's not like velocity was down necessarily uh, so maybe there is a tweak to be made. And yeah, 19th round, you're taking a flyer. I totally get it. Um, 20th round, you said, you know what? I need some more stolen bases. So, hey, what's up, Nikki Lopez? Uh, Lopez, you might not realize, 22 stolen bases, 151 games this year, 300 average as well, and 78 runs. There's three of the five that he really makes an impact for. Just two home runs, though, 43 RBI. It really does require some lineup finagling to not really get... Uh, pulled down too far there but hey lopez could be a good platoon bat for you yeah i i I felt comfortable i i think i'm okay on home runs and rbi which is what he lacks as you mentioned and the the thing about lopez is he's gonna play every day even if Witt jr comes up even with mondesi back the the royals organization loves his defense he was over a four-win player with two home runs on the season. He hit 300, and he's going to play every day. It's the kind of player they like. Since August 6th, when he had hit at the bottom of the lineup most of the season, he was rewarded with how he had been performing. He moved to the two spot, hit in the two spot every game except one the rest of the season. 
hit 329 with those two home runs, scored 35 runs here in, in just a third of the season and 14 of his stolen bases. So they really turned him loose late in the year when they moved him up in the lineup. And not only did he continue to perform, he got better. Um, his minor league numbers backed up his 12.5% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate. He had always done that. That's why he was such a big disappointment in 2019 and 2020. And once he started exhibiting that hit tool that he had shown in the minor leagues, they turned him loose on the base paths. They hadn't even been allowing him to attempt steals when he did get on base when he wasn't doing it consistently. So I, he's a great three-category guy here. I mean, it's someone you should be circling if you're needing stolen bases. He will get the playing time, absolutely. Like, if you need stolen bases and, and average and runs, so this is the guy. Uh, you can try to plan around it uh, by going after, say, like Joey Gallo and pairing him with us, something like that. But yeah, this is should be one of those backup plans that you guys are, are noting. Um, Kyle Lewis in the 21st round. Look at that. Kyle Lewis didn't have much of a season after his uh, bone bruising in the right knee. Uh, but, I mean, we, we're talking a guy that made an impact quickly in 2020, 11 home runs and 37 runs in that shortened uh, season, only 58 games, of course, for Kyle Lewis in 2020. Didn't really get an opportunity much this year, but, yeah, this is definitely a post-hype guy. It's right up your alley, Hastings. Yeah, these last three picks are all based on being healthy in 2022. Kyle Lewis, you know, uh, rookie of the year and – the roster resource as of now has him penciled in as a designated hitter hitting in the five spot in a Seattle lineup that was pretty exciting late in the season. And they have more exciting young guys coming. This could be a nice lineup to be a part of, uh, especially in the middle of it. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, JP Crawford, Ty France, Mitch Haniger, Jared Kellenick, but don't forget about, of course, uh, Julio Rodriguez uh, coming up hopefully soon next year. Yeah, Abraham Toro, who had flashes as well. Jake Fraley, Tom Murphy, and Dylan Moore. And yeah, there's Cal Lewis right there at the five spot. Yeah, I like this pick a lot. Um, it's a seal of approval because I'm going to be looking for this. I'm going to be looking like, okay, who are the ones that could just explode in spring training and be like, oh, right, Cal Lewis. I remember we were excited about him. You know, he just got hurt. It was being hurt, not necessarily the skills detracting. So yeah, I'm in on this one. Seal of approval. Love it. Uh, I saw him go. I was like, oh, yeah, right. That's a that's a really good one. So he's he's certainly circled for me, um, especially this late in the draft. Because, yeah, 21st round, whatever. Um, 22nd round, Hunter Dozier uh, was along those lines. And Hunter Dozier is, always, I don't know, he's just always felt like this guy we're chasing and hoping for. I mean, there's 26 home runs for Dozier in 2019 and 586 plate appearances. And this past year, a bit underwhelming. 216 average, 16 home runs, 55 runs, and 54 plate appearances. Sorry, uh, 54 RBI. Dozier is this, yeah, same thing you're saying. You're just hoping that he's going to be okay and use the playing time to his advantage. Yeah, absolutely. He uh, He's listed as a third baseman here, but Yahoo qualifies at outfield and first base as well. Mm. Uh, he was one of the more severe COVID cases in 2020. So that was a completely lost season and then got hit on the thumb on opening day of 2021. Oh, really? We missed some time. He came back, was absolutely horrible. Coming out of the all-star break, he started spraying the ball to all fields and, and his average for about a month and a half was well over 300. 
but with no power. In September, he kind of put them both together. His power came back, and he was still hitting for a pretty decent batting average. So I, I, I see 2019 Hunter Dozier for 2022. Oh, man, that's, that's really exciting also about the thumb injury and then also picking it up by the end. There is some life there with Hunter Dozier. And last pick here, Max Kepler, 23rd round. Uh, I remember the 36 home run season in only 134 games in 2019. We haven't quite seen that again. But then again, 19 home runs and 10 stolen bases. Only 121 games this past season, though, the 211 average. Leaves a lot to be desired. Um, you see the skills of the past, and that's what you're chasing here. Yeah, and I do expect him to continue to be a batting average drain. Not to the extent it was in 2021. Uh, but that there is power here and run scored. Cause I do believe he'll be back in the leadoff spot for the Minnesota twins who we expect to perform better than they did as a team in 2021. So this is a, a run scored with, with power. Uh, the, the RBIs for a leadoff guy have, have been there in the past as well doesn't steal a lot of bases any longer and he never did get a lot but he used to chip in a handful uh, not really any longer but uh power and run scored uh if you have protected your batting average which is something i really tried to do in the yeah, top half of the draft so yeah you certainly did that uh one thing i will say about kepler is he was batting lead off for a little bit then he jumped down come september he was more around the five hole or so and we may we will have to monitor how the twins are using him um in the uh in the future. Uh especially in spring training. And yeah, you can definitely check out uh, Mike Curlin's uh spring training tracker if he's doing that again. That was very helpful last year. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, and hopefully uh you will see Kepler near the top again for the twins there. But that's your draft, Kevin. You did it. On a scale of one to twenty-three, how would you <laughs> rank your team? I don't know how I would put a number on number on it. However, I, I'm happy with this draft. Uh, I am happy with my batting average, power, stolen bases, especially getting Nicky Lopez as late as I did. Took a, a couple of shots on um, I, not as many of the young, exciting guys like you talk about often. I did get Carlos Hernandez. Would have liked to have gotten a couple more of those. Uh, but as we talked about the there will be guys they they will pop up throughout the season um the post 280 that that you've been talking about recently we didn't even draft 280 so be on the lookout for for those guys in a league like this especially with you know the the Ryu the Hendricks uh even Zach Gallen if he doesn't look healthy it, it, it these guys I'll let go early if I need to. So, um, and I, I think I really nailed plate appearances and at bats, which was was the biggest topic of discussion as far as hitting goes at, at first pitch Arizona. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So as far as seal approvals go, you have Kyle Lewis, you have Chris Bassett, you have Will Smith, the reliever in the eleventh, um, and Austin Riley in the fifth. Uh, are, are the four you get. Solid, solid stuff. Uh, actually, I might even want to throw you another one for Goldschmidt in the fourth. I might do that, too. Uh, <laughs> in, I'll take but, it. Uh, I might have even said that and not the Riley one. Um, you gain all of those. 
so yeah, I, I want to say it's a 16. Um, the only pushbacks I have, um, I'd say the main ones that I don't know if I love the staff. Um, and I think you do need to take more chances on, on pitchers inside the draft, especially this one, because it is going to be those ones that I mentioned, um, you know, the past 260 and everything, uh, of those starters. Uh, some of these guys are not going to be drafted in a typical twenty-three uh, rounder. Uh, so, so I felt. I mean, I, I generally am, of course, biased on this way. I'd be drafted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven starters. I normally go for a nine or so, especially at the end because that's where I feel the major value is. You did get Kyle Lewis, Nicky Lopez; those made sense. But instead of, you know, Alec Bohm, Hunter Dozier, Max Kepler, I would say two of those as starters. You could have then maybe chased your, I don't know, your your Kyle Muller, your uh, Descafani, Caprillion, Bailey Ober, Eric Lauer, a lot of other ones, Joe Ryan, uh, Jesus Lazardo, etc. Um, those kind of things um, that might that make, may you, make you buoy up a little bit more in April. Um, as opposed to uh, your current state, but I mean, I'll give you seventeen, not sixteen. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that's it, Kevin. Congratulations. Uh, before we we leave, I want you to remind everybody everything that you do and where they can find you. I am co-host with Adam Howe, who does an amazing job on On the Wire, which is a weekly in-season fab podcast, and uh, we try really hard to get everything done as late as possible Saturday evening so it is as up to date as possible and then out first thing bright and early Sunday morning so you have plenty of time to go over it digest it and I also in conjunction with that write a fab article for picture list that comes out on Sundays as well prior to our typical Sunday night fab period yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic article and a wonderful podcast. Uh, so definitely go look out for those things on the site. Um, but uh, but that's going to do for today, Kevin. So thank you so much for participating in this mock draft and taking the time to do this podcast. But that's going to do for this edition of the On the Corner podcast. On behalf of Kevin Sason, Kevin Hastings, uh, my name is Nick Pollock. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>